When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to Knife Talk. This is a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, and everybody else. My name's Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. With me is Mareko Momasi of Momasi Fire Arts. And the captain of the ship, Craig Lockwood, is on paternity leave. That's right. Craig's wife gave birth to their new son, Buddy Henry Patrick Lockwood. Nine pounds, three ounces. Congratulations. The family's doing well. His wife is feeling good. The, and his son is out and about. He looks like he got tuned up a little bit on the way out. He had a black <laughs> eye, but you know this is this is what happens in the in the in the mean streets of France, I guess. But we're very fortunate, <laughs> very very fortunate for the generous and flexible, and the best of all time. Neil Camamore is with us again. We're so happy, and I just want to we want to welcome you once again for coming back on the show, Neil. Yeah, Thanks for having me, and uh, I apologize. I live on a farm with very limited Wi-Fi, and I'm very computer stupid, and uh, <laughs> we've been having some issues, but I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, dude, it's been great. It, you know, I'm sorry that we had some issues before, but I really do appreciate you, you know, making the effort to come on and... You know, everything you've been doing is so amazing, and, and we're just grateful to have you here. No, yeah. I, I'm so computer illiterate. I've never owned a computer in my life, and I actually have my assistant, Ashley. Say hi, Ashley. Hi, everyone. Uh, helping me so that I don't screw this up <laughs> again. Okay. Uh, well, how's everybody doing? Mareko, how have you been? Uh, the last week for me, uh, has been pretty straightforward. Honestly, I, I got a, a knife I'm remaking the material for, uh, for a customer. I got the blade forged out and the blade finished ground. Uh, and then I just got the, the heads up from the customer about what kind of handle material and handle style they're looking for. So tomorrow, oh, tomorrow, Monday, I'm going to be back in the shop getting that put together. Um, 
Let's see. Oh, last week, actually, my first Artisans of Steel podcast dropped with Will Brigham. Uh, we had a good conversation. It was a fucking marathon, though. We talked for like three solid hours about pattern welding stainless steel and Mokome and kind of his backstory and stuff. Because I don't think actually my podcast was the first time you'd ever done like an interview like that. And so um, and so it was it was good to have him on. He did a good job talking. He shared some funny stories and some interesting in, insight into sandmai and stainless and stuff like that um i did also talk to austin at the uh catskill makers camp uh and i'm gonna be uh there this this year in october nice. i'm gonna be up there presenting i'm pumped to finally be getting up there and hanging and doing some work with you guys uh and i think i think the last last but not least is just like i have this weird tendon thing in my hand <laughs> this is like weird doctor shit but on my left hand i have a tendon going from my thumb thumb like up towards my middle finger in the last week it's been like super tight in the morning when i wake up and it kind of scares me because the last time that happened i had to go in and get like a steroid shot into my thumb which was not fun it was fucking painful what do you what do you attribute that to <sighs> i have no idea Either I'm dehydrated or I'm just getting old or I don't know. What the, I need more crayfish oil in my diet. I don't know what the fuck. Crayfish oil. You're giving people yeah, too much Omega-3 fatty acids. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, too many thumbs up. Too many thumbs up, bro. Too much thumbs up. Give some thumbs down. <laughs> that could be it, you know. I, I, never heard of, I never heard of that, the tendons and the thumb thing. Yeah, I've had numbness in a finger, but that's because I put a drill bit through it. But that's about it. Yeah. Last time this happened, um, my right my right thumb that it like started like curling in like I was making a fist, but it it was like locking up and it wouldn't I couldn't extend my hand, and so they went in and did a steroid shot like right there at the the base of the joint like where your thumb comes meets your hand, but the guy didn't give me a heads up. He said like I went in for what they called a steroid shot. And I thought it was literally just like one shot, one injection, and then they pulled the needle out. And that's what the guy said. But then he, what he did is he actually put the needle in, and then he started moving the needle around like in a yeah. stirring motion, scraping and rubbing shit around with the fucking needle and injecting me at the same time. And I just looked at him like I was about to rip his fucking throat out. I was so fucking pissed. Because uh, if, he, if he had said that, I could have wrapped my head around that idea and been prepared for it but he made it sound like it was just like a simple like shot and so i'm concerned that i'm gonna have to do that on my left hand now those steroid shots and and uh they're not they're not they're not they're in, usually they don't fix the problem no That's the they only don't problem they like banded yeah. band-aid it's like a band-aid i mean that was like three or four years ago now so hopefully it's still holding up my right hand so i just i'm hoping my left hand isn't doing that but it's every day now it's starting to get tight I don't know what the fuck to do about it. Hmm. Neil, how have you been? Uh, I'm good. I'm busy. I've always got something down the pipeline. <laughs> uh, right now... Tell us about it. <clears throat> right now I'm prototyping some weapons for a movie. Uh, that's always fun. Um, and then, you know, just currently I finished two knives to send out to Joey and Imperial Leatherworks. 
he made some dope-ass sheets for them, and he's going to have them at his table. I'm not going to Texas Blade Show, but he'll have two of my knives there, and he does amazing work. Um, And then I got... I've been working all year on a... Uh, production grinder that's based for beginners uh, there was no real uh place for like you either buy $800 shitty grizzly or you buy a $2500 main market and when i was first starting out that was something that was missing and so i got together with a mare braid and we designed a grinder that's under a thousand bucks it's fully assembled including shipping will ship anywhere in the u.s continental u.s and uh it's a great uh, design and it's a great thing that i wanted to kind of add to the knife community to have as an option so that you know it's not such a huge nut to crack when you're first starting out sure it's it's a very generous thing that you're doing and and i think that when you do those things especially giving back to the knife community it's it is really your direction in general has been that helpful being helpful to the community and i think it's really great well i mean one of the reasons why yeah, i think it's a good stepping stone yeah i mean and, and but it's a stepping stone that you'll always keep you know it it doesn't take a lot of space right. and it comes fully assembled in the box so you just lift it out put it on your counter and you can get to sharpening you can get to grinding I've been prototyping it and working with it, and I can make whatever knives I make on my grinder with this grinder. I mean, there's some limitations, like if you're grinding full-blown integrals, but if you're a beginner, you're not going to be doing that. But even as a maker that does integrals, it's still useful to me. I mean, you know, just like leaving it right on my desk and just kind of, you know, it's a 2 by 48 and so the belts are more inexpensive and it's less intimidating to step up and take a shot at. Wow. Nice. Wow. Do you think that, um, I mean, when do you think you're, you'll release, you get more information out on this grinder? Well, I mean, that's the whole reason why I, I'm on this podcast is me and Mareko has been, <clears throat> uh, talking about an event that we could do that would inspire us. I mean, we've both had the same scenario where we're at blade show or we're at a larger event. And like, to be honest, like the reason why I'm not going to any blade shows this year is not because of any issues with them. I, I thoroughly enjoy, you know, the owner of blade show and, uh, and the, all of their team. But it's just for me, sometimes like the line of people to talk to me which is such a blessing, but it also can kind of be a curse where sometimes I feel like I'm fake. It's, it, it's, it, it's so hard to give everybody 100% of your attention and, and, you know, and be genuine when you did it 300 times a day, you know, and I've had scenarios where people I've, people I've gotten upset and, People have felt that I, w I didn't give them their allotted time. And it's really draining, especially because I work in the suicide and depression field a lot. People want to tell me their story of how their brother or their sister or their wife or somebody closely immediate to them 
have killed themselves or something. And so it like it, that tolls on me, you know, like all day, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, that's just kind of one of the, th- one of the things that I struggle with, you know? And so it wasn't, I didn't yeah. feel it was healthy for me this year and I didn't want to do it. And, uh, so me and Morocco got together and we talked about doing an event and we made it happen. So, the event is going to be in Sacramento? So the event is in Sacramento, and it's called Forge the Table. And basically, it's a two-day event. Saturday is open to the public. It's $20 tickets. And we have about 40 knife makers that are hand-selected uh, to... And we're still, like, logging more down. We But we're going to have 40 knife makers. and uh, And it's all culinary. And we're basing this entire show around food and wine. And what it is, is that we feel that like sometimes the culinary side or chef knife side gets kind of shadowed in the, you know, in front of some of the more popular things, you know, like swords and huge buoy knives or whatever. And, and so we wanted to do something that's based on something that we love. And so, and we wanted to do something smaller and something more intimate. Like when you have 40 makers and you spend the entire day together, you get to know each individual maker. And uh, you can spend some quality time with people. You're not in a rush. So Saturday is like that. And we got food trucks, live music. Um, it's at a uh, art gallery, like warehouse outside event area. And then Sunday is uh forge the table the actual event that i do with my wife but we're doing it a little bit different in sacramento where what it's going to happen is we have flora's going to be doing live fire cooking my wife and then we're meanwhile me and Moreco are going to be talking about you know knife care knife sharpening and we're going to be demoing knife sharpening answering people's questions we're going to talk to them about caring for high carbon steel, restoring high carbon steel. And then, then Flora is going to be done cooking and then she's going to have, you know, another tasting. And then I got a sommelier from the Four Seasons here in Hawaii coming out. She's going to be pairing wine with it. And then after that tasting, then me and Moreco are going to dual forge chef knives, uh, live for everyone to see and ask questions. We're going to do it at the same time. So the groups can kind of divide up and we're only going to sell 150 tickets and to this event on Sunday. And then uh, after that, we're going to have the final meal, more wine pairing. And then we're, we may do an auction depending uh, on if any of us have knives for sale. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we'll have some. <laughs> Did I miss anything, Marco? Fingers crossed that there's it's all gone. No, I think that's basically it. I mean, I think the idea, like we've, like you said, we've been talking about doing this for a while, and it's it's kind of like trying to mix the energy uh, of the pit. Like if anybody's been to Blade Show and been in the pit, where people it's a lot more laid back and casual. Um, people are eating food, having drinks, a uh, lot of conversations and friendships develop there. Um, so to mix that atmosphere with the actual show um, and keep it, like Neil said, small group, because, you know, in our kind of like these pandemic times, 
you know, doing things more small group instead of going to a venue that has like 10,000 people rolling through it with, you know, hundreds of vendors, you know, this is an opportunity uh, to really, ha you know, develop relationships and, and, and create friendships with not only between the makers, but also with um, some of the people that are attending the show and potential customers. And, you know, it, it, like Neil said, it's easy for chef's knives at a big show like Blade Show to be very easily overlooked. Um, and honestly, like a very, very small, like a fraction of 1% of people going to a knife show, I think, are, are, aren't even looking or are are looking for chef's knife. So very, very small numbers where the, the crowd going to this show are going to be there specifically for the chef's knives. They'll probably be a little bit more educated. So there aren't like all these questions we've been having over the last few podcast episodes about, you know, the, the worst things that you can ask <laughs> a knife maker, like a, a lot of these, especially like in my experience being at knife shows, the the worst is like, this is just a chef's knife, right? Why is it so expensive? So like the people come into the show, get it. It's just a question of whether or not, you know, it's in their budget to purchase the thing. But, you know, yeah, yeah but, but they understand like the quality the skill, the nuance that goes into those chef's knives. Yeah, but I think times are changing with that. Like, you know, how many people sure. want a... Uh, you know, are going to carry a, a, you know, a 10 inch hunting knife compared to how much people want an exquisite knife for their home now. And I think that that mindset has changed. And I think a lot of people that have sure. been pounding the pavement for that and, you know, and, you know, somebody once told me that, that there's, there's 50 major collectors in the U S and I was like, that's bullshit. Like I make a new collector every day. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Like there's so much people with endless money that they don't know what to spend it on. They just don't know they want to spend it on chef knives and then they see it. And then I have guys that try and buy me out for the year, you know? And you're like, no, like, Whoa. you know what I'm saying? Like it, there's so much crazy money out there. And that's why I want to have this show is because I want, not just me to have that kind of clientele. I want everybody, all my friends to have that kind of clientele. I want all those kind of eyes. Like saying that there's 50 collectors is a joke. I mean, that's totally not true. You know, there, there's, there's so much people with money that are looking for something like this to buy, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because thinking about what you guys are talking about in terms of collectors versus, you know, buyers and stuff like that. When I think of when I think of my customers, my customers are generally first-time knife buyers. Like because my my business strategy is I want my knives out in the public. So my prices are just about, I mean, you know, they're they're moderately priced, but they're not out of range of someone who's just starting to get into knife knife buying of 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 custom knife uh, custom knives so it's interesting because i i started to think about after we talked about this all yesterday i started to think about when i was younger one of the biggest food events in new york well used to be it probably still is at this convention center in new york called the javits center it's the biggest convention center in new york city and they would have the fancy food show and it was very similar to blade show 
where there were vendors selling everything. I mean, all sorts of different kinds of foods from all different countries and, and, and food products and knives and, 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 you know, like, you know, knife dealers and, um, you know, pots and pan people. And it just always seemed to me that the idea of creating a uh, convention or an event not based on just people who like knives, but people who like culinary stuff and pairing it with food and wine and restaurants and chefs and, and, you know, local people. And, and it just seems like that's the natural progression for culinary knife makers. Yeah. And this show is a little bit different. So instead of my tables being really expensive and then the makers having to kind of add that to the cost that, you know, I wanted to create a show that was um, more about the talent. And so people come to knife shows because they want to see the talent. And so what I did was I reached out to a handful of sponsors that I work with and said, hey, do you want to cover these costs so that the knife makers can come with a free table? And they went ahead and did that, and it was it was amazing. So my show for a knife maker to come, they just have to get there. The table is free, so that limit that that maximizes wow. their money for coming to an event, you know. And not only that, what I'm trying to teach the knife making community is how important networking is. And when you network with forty handpicked people from me and Morocco. You can't help but win, you know. Yeah, it. You know, it's interesting because you know, thinking back to when you first started, which wasn't long ago, uh, in the grand scheme of things, the fa the fact that you have worked so hard and 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 you've you know developed skills. It's not just that, but your willingness to be involved in the business end. And I wonder where you got this business acumen from. Like, you know, you're, you're so, you're so well-spoken. I know that you do a lot of business and, and networking and stuff like that. And where did that come from? Um, <clears throat> my dad, uh, retired at, uh, 52, pretty wealthy. I come from a pretty wealthy family, but I've never got anything from my family. When I moved out, I moved out. I moved out at 17 and, uh, I dropped out of school at seventh grade and I was already in construction. I was a Mason and, uh, you know, I got married at 18. Um, but when my father raised me, I was like his protege businessman. My dad had a high school diploma and he fought against companies that went to Harvard. Like my dad is one of the most, savage business people you've ever met and when i was younger if i wanted to buy a bicycle i needed to come with a business proposal so i would present i would present him three bicycles three different costs and the benefits of each one and the value that it would be for his money and so that's just how my dad raised me and like my dad would take me to business lunches all the time. That was one of my favorite things to do is go to business lunches and watch them negotiate. And then they would always ask me like, wow. what do you think? And I, and they would always laugh so hard because I would just bring it, you know, from my little mindset. 
<laughs> and then as I got older, one of the things that I used to do was take a businessman out to lunch that I respected once a week. And I would listen to them and listen to the mistakes they made and listen to their successes and add it to my arsenal, you know? Huh. That mindset is very similar to what you're doing as a bladesmith now. I mean, I know that you're very open to learning. I know that you seek out some of the best of the best. You're working with Jason Knight and Steve Schwarzer and Mareko. It seems as though you've allowed yourself to become willing to grow and you know that it's just it's it, it can't be a stubborn situation where you have to do it on your own you are very willing to to take on information and learn well that's the hawaii culture right so hawaii culture is not is it not all of us go to not, almost none of us go to college like it's not really a thing here and a uh, majority of us work in the trade and in Hawaii, if you want a custom car, so I come from the custom car world. If you want to build a custom car or you want to learn how, you go to a shop and you sweep the floors every day and clean up. And then after a year, maybe they'll teach you. And that's just the way it is. And so like even my way that I learn. So in Hawaii, it's super disrespectful to ask questions. So let's say you're going to uncle's house and he's going to do a motor swap. If you ask him 30 questions, he'll slap you on the back of the head and kick you out. Because the answer is about to be revealed to you. You just need to shut the fuck up and watch, right? And so even when I go train under people, I come with no ego and no questions. So when I train under Mareko or Steve or whoever I'm working with, I just watch them. And then that's how I'm able to cleanly see without clouding it with what I think is better or what I, not, none of that matters. You know, like you literally just watch the process. And if you're not clouding it with anything, you, that's how you absorb 100% of the information. Hmm. That, that's a good I mean, point, that's a. I, I noticed that, and and when when I work with you, and I'm just like, I wonder if I'm making any sense because you're just kind of you just kind of sitting there watching, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, am I? I don't know if I'm making any sense or anything. Like, and I'm probably even ask, you know, does that, does that make sense or can you see what I'm doing or blah, 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 whatever? And you're like, yeah, yep, yeah, I'm good. I'm just watching. Yeah, and I think that that's a huge. But then you problem. ask smart questions later. Like you, you sit on it and you process it, yeah. and then you ask smart questions later. But that's a huge problem with the youth, you know. Um, they demand questions and want answers, but what they don't understand is sometimes I don't ask you a question until after I watched you. Then I try it ten times in a row, yep. and then I'll ask you a question because they're asking questions they don't even understand the full thing yet. And so you only ask questions when you deserve it, like when you've put in the time. When people ask me, oh, how do you make Damascus? I want to make Damascus. They're like, bro, you only made 10 knives, dog. Don't even worry about Damascus. You ain't even on that level. Like, you know what I'm saying? People want to jump too quick. I, I waited two years to make Damascus, you know? And then I made 500-something knives before I switched to Integral. You know, like you, 
why make Damascus if you don't know how to grind it? You don't know how to finish it. You don't have to. You don't can't make a quality knife to showcase Damascus. Work on small bits at a time, and really respect your craft before you go jump too far and ask too many questions and feel like you deserve nothing. You deserve not. You know, it's not my our jobs to teach you. It, it's it's a privilege that you have to earn. And that's the way I look at it. So when you gift, gift me with knowledge, I take it so serious and I hold myself to that standard. I will not slip backwards. Once you teach me the right way, I will not do it the shitty way. Hmm. It's interesting because when I think of your legacy, you know, your great grandfather, who you're named after, moved to, uh, moved to Hilo. Uh, when he was very young, went into a blacksmith shop, became. Am I incorrect when I, when I was he the one of the first Japanese Amer Japanese Hawaiian business people? No, so in in Hilo, or? I'm not Hawaiian. My family is from Japan, and uh, they came on on a boat to the sugarcane Olaa Sugar Company, and uh, he came as a child. But my bloodline is blacksmiths, so they put him on the blacksmith camp. So at the time, the sugarcane companies there was no you know, Napa auto parts or parts stores. So the blacksmith shop made all the tools and it fixed all the equipment. So they put my great grandfather in that part of the field. And uh, he just really excelled at it and became really well known. I mean, even back then they were shipping his cane knives to other islands in Hawaii, which was unheard of because they have their own, each camp has their own blacksmith shop, you know, and that's how good his uh, cane knives were. What do you think it, it was about the cane knives that made him so famous? He didn't temper them. <laughs> that's what I think. Oh, really? Like, from what I can tell, he tempered them the least and he only edge quenched them. From what I can see pictures of his shop, he bought, from the looks of it, was he took bandsaw blade, like big bandsaw blade steel, forged the edge down, edge quenched them, and never tempered them. Because I think what he thought was that when he edge, only edge quenched it very quickly in salt and brine, right? And then lifted it out that the residual heat from the rest of it gave it enough temper, you know, but it, he was known wow. that his knives were never needed sharpening, but they would chip. So for me, what that tells me is that he just tempered them the least. No. Well, if he had an even heat, maybe he could have figured that well, out. Let's hit this, that even just heat. to let you know, I had to bust into a, <laughs> I got to hit the even heat. Guys, even, that's a, I did a terrible job, but that's the way it is. Even Heat is a proud sponsor of Knife Talk. They're the manufacturers of the finest heat-treating ovens available. Go get your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com to take a look at it, and then go to Soul Ceramics. Uh, they, if you go to the link, knifetalk.net slash heat, uh, Soul Ceramics is the distributor of Even Heat, and they're going to send you a. If you buy it through them, they're going to give you uh, seventy-five dollars off and free shipping in the United States. So go get yourself one of them Even Heats, and you know then you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about nothing. So go get yourself Even Heat Soul Ceramics, and thank you very much. 
I, I guess, I guess to me, is I, I, I've said this to you before, is, is the, I, I, part of me always wonders, will you ever, do you, do you understand, do you know the profile of what his sugarcane knives look like? Could you ever make, re- replicate one of his sugarcane knives? No, I, I have friends that own my great grandfather's uh, sugarcane knives to this day. I just don't own any, but um, no, I have families that I know of personally that has his cane knives. And uh, my dad has a knife from him uh, that he made. And then recently I was out at uh, uh, Peter's house, Schwartzbert's house. And one of the neighbors came down and he's an old time uh, rancher from Waimea. And he was wearing one of my great grandfather's knives that was wrapped in bone. And he said it, that he really treasured it. Oh my God, it. what was that like? It was pretty sloppy. <laughs> I mean, but for the t- <laughs> for the time, I mean, it it's amazing. You know what I mean? It, the the best the best compliment I ever got was I showed my grandma one of my knives, and uh, and she told me she looked me in the eye and she told me she's like, "You have passed your great grandfather a hundred times," and. And she was just like, you know, and and it's not because I'm better than him. It's just because that we have modern tools and we have a greater uh, ability to transfer information and knowledge. I mean, at the time, my great grandfather was, you know, didn't even speak English to the day he died in 1992. He only spoke Japanese, you know. And and owned a business in Hawaii. I mean, he was very hard headed, and I think that you know, seeing some of his things, it's it's very cool. It's very rustic, you know. I I mean, but like to have that compliment from my grandma. And let me tell you something: Japanese people they don't hand out compliments very often. <laughs> so you got to take it where you get it. Yeah. She then told me to cut my hair and shave my face. I would. <laughs> So, but so when your when your grandfather didn't go into the blacksmithing business and became a barber, was that what was? Because I'm trying to make the connection. I mean, it's it's interesting because you're you're you have this connection with your great grandfather with the blacksmithing and the the lineage of the blacksmithing. But then there were two generations that kind of went away from that, and then it's back. Well, you got you got to remember at that, that time. What's interesting is you got to remember at that time, like blacksmithing was dying in general. Right. It wasn't what it is now, you know, like either you forge a knife or you buy a $30 knife from somewhere else. They just that's what they did. Like there wasn't a need for it. Now, people weren't working the sugarcane anymore. You could readily buy cheap machetes and cheap things. And so it was fading, you know, and and you have to remember that Hawaii was rugged. My family was there when it was a territory before it was you know, uh, part of the United States, you know, and it was a rough place to be and it was a rough place to live. And so if anybody that's third generation born like me, like our families work together at some point. So if I meet another person that's third generation born, our families work together on the plantation, you know, that's how rugged and small it was. And so that's why the local cultures, Japanese, I mean, so it's Hawaiian, Japanese, Chinese, Filipino, Portuguese is the main local 
nationalities that contribute to Hawaii's culture is is based on the sugarcane. You know what I mean? And so, you know, like, you don't realize that my grandpa, what kind of life, I'm not going to go into how rough his life was, but he had a rough life, you know, and he was gangster as fuck. And uh, he just wanted to get out there, get out of Hilo, and he ended up being in Waimea, which is home of Parker Ranch, the largest ranch in the in the Western Hemisphere, and it's in Hawaii, and they have the Hawaiian cowboys, the Paniolos, and uh, so my grandpa was a barber there and cut hair and, you know, and had a had an actual, like, parlor where people would ride their horse up to it and tie it, tie it to the front and to get a haircut and sit around and gamble and shoot the shit, you know what I mean? Like, like, old school. I, I love the fact that I you can almost now that I know more about your you know after you said about your father it is definitely this like you are a product of your of your of your family because at first I thought well I mean you know it's interesting that he was you know his family's all blacksmiths but I mean if it wasn't for your father's uh, business at a business mindset I mean you wouldn't be where you are today to a certain degree I mean you're very sad you've always been very savvy but I mean it sounds like you know that training from your dad and you know the history of being a blacksmith and learning how to be a blacksmith really is you're you're kind of a this uh beautiful combination of all your of all your generational uh, relatives yeah you know i i remember i was 22 years old and i started surfing and it's really embarrassing to be local and trying to learn how to surf as an adult you know but I was determined to do it, and now I surf all the time, and it's fine. It's part of my life. I've been surfing for 20 years now. But, you know, I told my dad, I was like, it's, it's so shame that as an adult local person born and raised in Hawaii that I got to learn how to surf as an adult. And my dad's like, yeah, but you know how to work, and you know how to make money. And I said, so what? Like, you know, and he's like, he's like, bro, he's like, bro you always can learn how to play. He goes, but there's a very short window to learn how to build character, work ethic, and business sense. And you have it. So you don't ever have to worry about money. Now you can learn how to play. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, like that. Uh, I guess that makes you know, sense. That, well, that dovetails into something that you, we had said, you had said to us yesterday. And obviously, we don't have that audio, but... You were you were referring to yourself as a bladesmith, and you were saying that you're not talented. You said, or you don't consider yourself talent, a talented bladesmith, and that really stuck with me yesterday. And I was kind of thinking about that, and I was I was looking up the definition of talent and what's talent, and and the you know, the definition of talent is you know an innate ability to it's an innate uh, it's the ability to have that skill, but it comes easy to you. And I started to think about that, and it's almost like this concept of being talented is a slightly God-given right, where you, you know, you're born and you're just talented in doing something. But it seems to me that it's much more, it's much more honorable, and it's much more the, 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 the perfect human pursuit 
to work really hard in order to get that skill as opposed to having it automatically. And it, and it made me think that you, I mean, obviously you're incredibly talented and it's because you've put the hours in the, in the, in the years and the dedication into, into doing, to do, to, to creating that talent. Cause you, you don't being born talent is bullshit. You know, you, it's, it's all about the work ethic and the ability to just say, I have to do this. And that's just the way it is. Well, Talent to me means that you may be able to pick it up in one try. And I may not have talent, but I'll pick it up in 10 tries. But it just took me 10 times longer. And that's fine because I'm willing to put in the work. I don't care. You know, and I, in, in one of but my. That's the best. Yeah, but in one of my speeches. Uh, that was based on suicide and depression. I, 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 I said in the speech, I said, talent is horsepower and determination is torque. And we all know if you're in the car world, horsepower is cool and it's a flashy number, but torque is what takes it over the finish line. It's what gets it going. And so you may pick up knife making way faster than me, but you'll fizzle out. I will never fizzle out. I will go to the day I die. Like, and so, you know, it's just like when I learned how to play guitar and play music, everybody could play music. And I, I, we all started the same time. And then it took me a year to play one song, but now I still play and nobody else plays, you know? And so that's just kind of my biggest thing is I love torque and I love determination because that's what I have to offer. You know, and I feel that it's a valuable part of business, mm. playing long game business, not short game. Mm. Mareko, tell me how you met Neil. Uh, I met, well, I mean, I first met Neil in person at Blade Show in like 2017 or something like that. Um, but it was because we were both on Forge and Fire. And when you go on Forge and Fire and you make it to the final round, you go back to your home shop and you got a couple producers there uh, filming you at your shop. And the same guys that filmed me filmed Neil too. And um, and Stavros, uh, one of the producer guys, was like, oh, you should, saying to Neil, you should meet my friend Mareko. We just filmed with him a while ago because we were both in the fourth season. Um, I think it was my second time on. It was Neil's first time on. The best season. And uh, nah. <laughs> the best season. <laughs> oh, there's some hammers on and, uh, season four, bro. The best of the best is on season there are. four. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and uh, and so I think uh, I told Stavros to give Neil my number, and Neil hit me up and. We chatted a little bit, and I think at that point I'd only—I think I saw his episode, and I'd only seen a few posts on his his Instagram, which were like, uh, like these tatted up like hot rod chicks wearing his t-shirts and stuff at the time, <laughs> and I was like, "That's cool." <laughs> and so we started talking, and then we met at Blade Show, and Neil wanted to work with me, and um, and I was like, you know what? I, I'll give this a try. You know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about him really. We didn't really get a good chance to like really talk in depth in person. And, um, but he invited me to come out and we did some work and, you know, I dropped into, I'd never met him before or like really spent any time with him before. And we spent two weeks solid together 
and we didn't want to kill each other and you know he like became a new brother to me and and um we've just been friends ever since then i feel like that's unusual to be able to just drop into somebody's world yeah yeah but just, i mean <laughs> and be there for two weeks and not want to fucking kill him. I, i'm a pretty good judge of character i know what works with me and uh i can i know within the first minute whether i'll be friends with this person for the rest of my life or not and uh and i have a problem with like i psychoanalyze everything so like i look at people's shoes i look at the clothes the brands that they choose to wear their watch their hairstyle what they choose to bring up in conversation with me and i like i've always been like that i watch the way people eat i watch the way the like everything I analyze everything and it goes in this crazy space in my head. And so <clears throat> that's one of my networking abilities is the, is using that. I, I store so much information about people like in my head. And when I met Mareko, I instantly knew that I was like, this is what, somebody that would be easy for me to learn from. And, uh, and I think it would be a partnership that would be beneficial for both because everything that Mareko's weak in, I'm strong in, and everything I'm weak at, Mareko's strong at. So works out. It's a good marriage. Do you remember, Neil, the first project? It's a good <laughs> marriage. It's very good. What, do, Neil, do you remember the first knife you and Mareko made together? Yeah, I still have it. It's a, it's a Damascus pattern with like gold, like copper. Like, what is it? Like brass, like whatever, you know, no, it's copper infused Damascus that we did. And I, I still have, it. it's one of the very few knives that I own. I don't, I don't collect knives and not a knife collector. And so it's where one of the very few knives that I own, <laughs> it's, it's in my house. Yeah. It's the first real so... chef knife I made. <laughs> Oh, is it? Oh, it's so funny because when I met Mareko... When did you decide you... When I met Mareko, I was only hollow grinding knives and then I had maybe flat ground maybe like 10, 20 knives and I didn't know how to do it and I was fucking them all up and and uh, so when I... I actually flew Mareko out to give me a grinding lesson um, on chef knives and he, we ended up doing Damascus too but I, I had no interest in Damascus and he's the one who lit that fire in me to make Damascus. But um, he taught me how to grind. He taught me how to make Damascus. I was very early on in my career. I think I was like two years in. And uh, I, was, I remember grinding on the chef knife. And I thought it was thin as mind-boggling thin. And I'd like walk over to him all proud. And he'd be like, nope. <laughs> and I was like, "Are you serious?" And I go back and grind it some more, and I come back all proud. And he's like, "Try again." I was like, "Son of a bitch, bro! This thing is so thin." And I told him, and then he took the knife, and I went so thin I couldn't even believe it. The thing was bending on my fingernail, and then he's like, "Okay, whack it into something," and we just whacked the shit out of it, and it took it. And then he's like, "Trust your heat treat, boy," and I was like, "Damn, son!" And I like I was a believer since then. And like you have to remember at the time, like I was like forging thick, grinding thin, and doing all this dumb. And then, and then he taught, he brought me to a level of forging thin and then grinding thinner. You know, like 
I couldn't believe. Like, I used to make these, like, knives that would pull your pants down. They were so thin, thick, you know? And now it's all about, yeah. it's all about that now. He, he changed my whole game, my whole world. If anyone is interested, if you get a chance to do it, you do it miracle. He's one of the best teachers of the planet. What made you make that decision to go? Because I, I remember talking to Mareko years ago, and he said that you're planning on change, going into chef knives. Because I remember in your in your early knives, there were a lot of kukris and choppers and and swords and 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 kind of outdoor bushcraft knives. What what was it about culinary knives that made you want to get into culinary knives? Because I cook, and my wife's a chef, you know. And and I had just started dating Flora when I met Mareko. And, uh, you know, she was a chef and I had made her a chef knife and she's so sweet. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Fofo, it's good. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> you know, but every time I go in the kitchen, she wouldn't be using my knife. She'd be using some other knife, you know. And so I really wanted to to give something special to my wife. And so we made my wife a chef knife also while Marekka was there. And then when I went back weeks later, she was still using that knife. And then she hasn't stopped using my knife since the day I met Mareko. And so that has been a blessing that he has given to me is to make a real chef knife. Like he, I showed him a knife. He's like, that's not a real chef knife. He's like, that's like a chopper that kind of looks like a chef knife. It's too thick, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, that's been something that, you know, and you have to remember, I was willing to invest into Mareko. So, like, I didn't tell Mareko, like, oh, I said, no, like, I'll pay your whole way. You know, you won't have to spend a dollar with me. And if you need money, I'll give you money. You know? Um, you know, and, and that's why I tell people don't measure a lot. Like, some people will be like, Man, I've been making knives for 10 years and I ain't even like do what you do. And I tell people I've owned, I own, at the time I owned three businesses and my office was a blacksmith shop or a bladesmith shop, you know, so I would receive all my calls from there, answer all my emails from there. All my guys would meet me there and I would have my meetings there. And that's what I did. And so I was able to do it seven days a week. And then I also had money to fly people in to, to train with and different things. And so, you know, I wasn't working a full-time job and then making half of a knife on a weekend and then doing another half and making only one knife a week. I, I've been on a path of making three to five knives a week since the day I started, you know. And so, I mean, it's you can't compare the time on the tools that I have, you know. You know, I was actually thinking about you this morning because I uh, I ch I tried to channel you a little bit. I woke up at four o'clock this morning, and I walked the dogs for two miles, and then I worked out, and I came to the shop. I forged out some tongs and a knife right before we podcasted because I really wanted to like get into that early morning mindset of Neil Kamimura. And there, what there, what I what I was interested in is the fact that your willingness to budget your time. So you're able to get everything done. And that means I think you got a story on Instagram recently where you were up at like four, you were in the shop at four in the morning in order to get things done so you could be with your family. There's something, I yeah. mean, it's, you have a very, you're, you're very organized. Uh, I'm very disciplined. 
and self-disciplined. I don't need any motivation. Like, uh, that's all I want to do. But, and what I mean by discipline is that I'm, I commit to working an X amount of hours a week and I commit to how much money I'm going to make per month and I don't miss any quotas. So if I have to go back out in the middle of the night, I'll work doubles. And I do that many times. I do it like a few times a month where, you know, where I'm a little bit behind. So I need to put in an extra day or let's say I have an anniversary or it's Valentine's Day or something. I don't miss. So the day before Valentine's, like I'll work, you know, eight to 10 hours. I'll go eat dinner, put my kids to bed you know, talk with my wife and then put back the work clothes on and I'll go put out another, you know, seven hours and then sleep for a little bit and then go back and do it again. And I'll do it back to back. I mean, I've done it for projects where I'll do it back to back for two weeks straight. And, but that's, I'm crazy. Like I I don't sleep much. You know, I woke up at three o'clock this morning and I was on business calls from three o'clock to you know six o'clock on the east coast you know i have business on the east coast so that's just that's the ideal time for me to do it so that's why i do it at that time but um discipline is a very important thing like and i also only allow myself to do any r&d on sundays um that's another thing that i do i don't do any testing any dicking around when uh, Monday through Saturday. Sunday is the only day I allow myself to do something creative. That's like, uh, well, everything I do is creative, but like th- that's like kind of interests me. That's kind of time wasting is like my Sunday fun day thing. Sunday fun day. I think that's cool that you build that in for yourself though. And it sounds like you, like in my conversations with you before, like you already explained, like you have some systems in place, but you also like you, you, you don't just like mentally make goals, but you actually like write them down and you have like a plan for yourself. And that's something that I also admire about what Jeff does is that you guys, you guys kind of organize yourself in a way where you, you write down goals and and plans for that day or for the month or the week or whatever. And then you, you keep them in front of you and, and that helps you to stay focused on what you got going on. It's the only way to go. I mean, for me, and it's it's interesting because actually you and I talked, Mareko, on Thursday or something like that. And you, you gave me a call and I couldn't talk to you at the time. And it was because I was at a doctor's appointment. And the last few months I've been, you know, actually the last two years, I've been, my doctor told me that I'm on the cusp of getting glaucoma. So he's been monitoring me. My, my family has glaucoma and he noticed, when, you know, something with my optic nerve. And that really kind of pushed me, and so far so good. And I go every so often, but it's helped me also be way more focused because now there's no there's not a lot of time to, there's no there's no time there's no time left over to to fool around. So like, I mean, I am you know booking yourself and show, giving yourself a goal is like, and the discipline that you know you're not getting any old, you're not getting any younger, and the ability to see what you want with with uh, uh, being organized and disciplined is it's the only way to go, the only way to go. Otherwise, it's like you're you, it's almost you're you're putting too much faith in hope, and hoping something happens is bullshit. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I mean, 
there's I hate hope. There's there's a few things that I live by, but you know, I always tell people money can't buy you happiness, but it can fix about ninety nine percent of your problems. So that helps. <laughs> <laughs> but the only thing that you cannot buy is time. And so I get a lot of shit right. from makers that they're like, you have an assistant, you have a personal trainer, you have this, you have that, you spend all this money on, on things like that. They're like, oh, must be nice. And oh, sorry, blah, blah, blah. And kind of bust my balls about it. And I told them, no, you know what that means is I'm smart enough to know what I'm not good at. And I'm not going to be somebody that's so hard-headed that I'm going to do my own taxes. I'm going to do my own books. I'm going to send out emails. I'm going to go to the post office. I don't do any of those things, you know, because all I should be doing, if I have a wait list for knives, I shouldn't be doing anything but making knives. I shouldn't be at the post office. I shouldn't be grocery shopping. I shouldn't be doing any of those things. And then I have three sons and a wife and a farm. And so I am not going, you know, I'd much rather sit and enjoy my time with Maddox than be doing shit that I can pay somebody to do. And trust me, if I'm making enough knives, you can afford those things and you can find ways to do those things. I'm not saying that for everybody, but... I, people always bust me up about it, but it's really I'm smart enough to know what I suck at, and I ain't gonna waste my time doing it because time's precious. I I'm really happy you say that because I, I I have I when I started becoming a knife maker, my wife was I didn't want my wife to feel like I was crazy because you know I was a sculptor for a long time and stuff like that. And I, in order for her to be comfortable with me, you know, doing this, I said, look, I know my strengths, and my weaknesses, and my weaknesses are our business. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find someone to strengthen my weaknesses. And that's what I did. I think that there's this strange, there's this, in the maker community, there's this strange like pecking order in regards to what's worthy and what's not worthy. As in you do every, you should be doing everything yourself where, you know, there's, there's certain things in life that, you know, you know, fixing, you know, labor, labor is one of those things that sometimes you just can't do everything. And you, you have to figure out ways in which to strengthen your, your weaknesses by maybe getting stuff laser cut, or maybe having someone having an assistant do something or maybe having, you know, obviously, like your, your taxes is the perfect example. For some reason, you know, people think that if you use an accountant, that you're, you're, you're crazy, but it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to do taxes. I'm going to pay someone to do the taxes. You know, well, and I have I have, you know, five licensing deals that are happening this year. And I don't, you know, have a Google calendar or have like if you see my notepad, it's really a re reflection of how crazy my brain is. I just scribble things all over it because I just need to physically write it and it goes in my head. And so I physically write it. I don't ever look back at it. But it's there. So my assistant comes and is like, oh, my God, your brain is crazy. But I come up with the ideas and my team executes them. How many knife makers, you know, have great ideas that are worth so much money, but they cannot execute it? I have the team to execute it.
and the first one paid for it and the next one paid for it and the third one paid for it and you know and you just keep going and let me tell you when somebody's depending upon it it helps with the self-motivation you got i pay a lot of people you know and uh and it's worth it and it and it pays off in the end to think outside the box you know and really not only making money but solving problems that are in our industry that that actually I'd like to bring it back to this event you guys are doing and to think about uh, before we go into that one, I gotta I gotta thank one of our sponsors, who's also a sponsor of yours, Neil. Combat Abrasives. Combat Abrasives has been a great sponsor with us since day one. And if you go to combatabrasives.com and put in promo code Knife Talk fifteen, you're gonna get fifteen percent off all your abrasives, all your compounds, all the other stuff that they make for uh, knife makers. And look, they're a great company that's been helping us and you for a long time, and they've been passing along a lot of savings. And so we want to thank Combat for your consistent support so combatabrasives.com I guess what I was wondering was was you know with all your business ideas I mean and this this event that you're doing with Mareko it's obviously it's it doesn't sound like it's going to be one and done is this something you think you want to do more often or you're going to see maybe this goes to a different place yeah so me and Mareko are going to do this clean across the United States so I'm going to go west coast to east coast and uh and the point of it is is to kind of take the strain off the maker and also because what happens is you know guaranteed there is going to be a chef knife maker from Oakland like like let's say Nada Knives he's one of the makers that are coming to Sacramento he's from Oakland right you know there's going to be a chef in that area or a business owner or someone that's going to be like dude you live right here and they're going to strike a business deal. You see what I'm saying? Like you, you I'm going to a yeah. place and I'm bringing the community up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I'm making it better than when I got there. And that's part of the, also the Hawaiian culture that I live in. And so we're, we are taking it to them. We're not making them drag their shit clean across country. What we're doing is we're bringing it to them. We're bringing local businesses there. We're bringing local farmers. We're bringing people in their same field like a trade show, but it's in their location. And so what that does is create an ecosystem of business for the maker. Like I look at Nada Knives and that guy is so ridiculously talented. And 
and yet, you know, you know, I, you know, like look at even Marco. He's never been in Blade magazine. Like, are you joking me? Like, and not a either. You know what I mean? Like, are, are you serious? Like, we need to get eyes on this person. How do I do it? You know, then this is how I do it. You know, and and with social media today, with Instagram, it's it's harder to grow. It's harder to, you know, all these challenges, you know, like unless you're like got a fat ass and you're tap dancing and doing a stupid dance, it's hard to do anything, you know. And so with this, this is based on guerrilla style marketing where I'm bringing it to their door and we're making it just happen. And those will change and change lives. I guarantee it. And so the people that come along this journey with me and Mareko, it is the future. Culinary knives and art knives are the future. And, and this event is the future for a lot of these makers that I'm going to bring up with me, you know, and grow together and, and, and raise, raise up together. Not just me, it's everyone. You know, and that's how we equalize that. When we were originally coming up with this and, and talking and shooting back back and forth ideas about this show, I think that was one of the, the, the regional aspect of the idea of doing a small show and not having it, you know, every single chef's knife maker from around the country coming to an individual show. Instead, treating it kind of like a tour in a way where you go around to these different cities and you hold these events um, and, and have a very focused, like Neil said, in a very regional way and kind of like, a, like in, in food, it's terroir, right? Like to be considered champagne, it has to be made from a specific grape from the specific area uh, or in the same thing with like certain types of bourbon, you know, same things, certain grain, certain area. So by doing these events, in these specific areas and, and drawing from that local community. It, yeah. It, it's, it's kind of like helping to use the eyeballs that we have to draw attention on these ma makers um, that maybe don't have, you know, the same number of eyeballs. And I think that comes back to Neil's ac business acumen is, is, you know, is creating those relationships and creating those connections with people and networking and helping to, and using his leverage basically to help get more eyeballs on these people that don't necessarily, even myself don't necessarily have the greatest business acumen. Um, and, or, or are, you know, on top of, you know, representing themselves well through social media or, you know, and stuff like that. And so it's kind of, yeah, like Neil said, gorilla kind of grassroots making these connections and these networking opportunities happen. Hmm. I mean, look at the fact I called Bachan Japanese barbecue sauce. I called combat abrasives. I called a braid and I called craft, craft made aprons and they gave me enough money to hold this event free for the makers. Um, it took me 10 minutes, you know, four phone calls. And uh, that's the kind of companies that I want. So, so no one has ever paid me. I don't take pay to be on my Instagram, none of that. I don't believe in that. Um, if it's they're my friends, then 
let's go. If they're not, then you can't afford me. I'm not for hire. Um, I have to physically like you and like your product. Um, but, you know, like Justin from Bachan was a dude that's like cold pressing his ingredients and not putting preservatives. And what, to be honest, when he, he talked to me about the product, I was like, what is that? Like show you uh, soy sauce, sugar. And like, you know, like we all, we're all chefs. I mean, we all cook. Like I was like trying to break down his sauce. And then when I tasted it, I was like, Oh wow. Like that's the difference. You, you know what I mean? It was so dialed and then, and how much, how passionate he was about it and its ingredients and how he held it to such a high standards. Like, you know, and, and, and like, like a Maribraid, a Maribraid is, they, dude, they're young. They're like 33 and 32, the two owners. And they, they bleed for that company and they're making everything in the U.S. And that's why when I went and saw what they were doing, I knew that they were the right fit for me to do my production grinder. You know, and then Craftmade aprons, they're the ones that Morocco made the apron with, you know, and, um, and, and then combat abrasives, they've been my, you know, they've been with me since the beginning, you know, and, uh, and so when you reach those kind of relationships, and I have many others, like with this event, like Yeti's going to send down coolers for with water jugs. Uh, Jason Momoa is sending down uh, his Manunalu water so we can make it a plastic-free event, and then you can refill it with the Yeti water jugs. Then we got, you know, Zach Brown is sending his wine. Uh, he has uh, a wine company that he's donating wine and contributing also to this. You know, we have so many people, like, that are filling the the gap for the makers, because they want to see this small business succeed. They want to see the uh, these artisans doing what they would love to do. And that's the kind of companies that you want to be affiliated. But that's, you know, sometimes it takes somebody like me to put it all together, you know, and, 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 it's, and, it, and it's great. You know, and, and it, this is the worst business deal that I have done in the past three years. This is nothing but lose money for me. But it's what I'm passionate about it. And if I know that I'm passionate about something, I may have to lose a little bit of money into it in the beginning, but it's okay. You know, it can only be great when money is not the main goal of creating something. Because I started selling my knives at $75, you know, and that was lose money. And... But I don't care if it's origami. If you spend 70 hours a week making origami, you eventually make money. I don't care what it is. If you are passionate about it and you bleed into it, you can't help but succeed. And that's how I feel about this show. That's one thing that is when I think about how you've been in terms of studying under these great teachers, Mareko and Steve Schwarzer and Jason Knight, I can tell that you, you have the sense of like giving back because you have these, you've had, had these great opportunities, especially being on Forge and Fire and it was such a great event and kind of working with Jason Momoa. And, and I, 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 if there is something I maybe it is it, is it cultural? The, the, this concept of giving back. I mean, you are, you're using your, you're using your um, fame and your, and your power to do something really great for a lot of people. And I know that you do a lot of stuff for other knife makers as well. 
the reason why I'm passionate about it is not because, yeah, it makes me money, you know, but it also gave me an identity. Like prior to this, I was a mediocre car builder. You know, I, I had a lot of businesses. I was electrician. I was a carpenter. I was a mason. Uh, I surf, but I didn't have an identity. Like if you were to point me out in a crowd, now it's easy. Like that dude, the knife maker, the bladesmith, that's my identity. And it gave me a purpose. And let me tell you something. When you can, I know that I want to live and die in Hawaii. So I know where I want to be. It's my home. I have a whole heart, hearted love for the land and the ocean and everything that surrounds and the culture and the people of Hawaii. I, so I know where I want to be. Now I know what I want to do, which is I found what I was destined to become, which is a bladesmith, you know, then when you have those two things sorted out, like life becomes simpler and it becomes calm and it becomes clearer and you're able to really dial in the rest of it. And that's why I give back to this community is because it gave me an identity. Wow. It is a, one thing about the knife making community is it ultimately is a very supportive community. I mean, some people are pricks, but, but for the most part, I mean, I, you, I've never not had a good conversation with, I get, you know, I, the only time I've ever spoken to, to Jason Knight, he got my phone number from someone. He just called me up. And we had this really nice conversation. There's this, there's, there is this true camaraderie among bladesmiths and blacksmiths, and it is something that's like, you know, makers are people who are looking for identity. They're looking for, they're making something that gives them, you know, a degree of purpose or uh, to show, you know, to give a physical manifestation of their own uh, powers and and technique and and development and personal gain, and it, and it is something that. You know, it's great that you do that. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a saint by any means, you know what I mean? But it's just something that, I mean, at, at some point, like, you know, I want to retire at 50 and I want to be an old Mr. Miyagi banging on steel with my little chihuahua cruising my 1950 <laughs> Cadillac and not have to deal with this shit no more. You know, so I have three boys. Like, one's 28. You know, he's going to take over my business. And so if I don't teach him ethics, and I don't teach him how to take risk, and I don't teach him how to be a great businessman, then what am I doing? You know, and being part of being a great businessman is also having compassion for other businesses and contributing to a tribe that lifts each other up. I always tell my son, you want to be an idiot, hang out with idiots. You know, like you want to be a broke person that lives paycheck to paycheck. And all you're focused on is getting blasted drunk every weekend. And that's what you work for. Then keep hanging out with those people. You want to be a businessman. You want to be a millionaire. You want to be a doctor. You want to be anything in this world. You hang out with it. You absorb it. And, uh, 
you know, and, and that's what I want from my boys. You know, my oldest son is adopted and uh, he's hanaid into my family. And I love each of my boys differently. Uh, Maddox is my firstborn, like to my blood. And he is the sweetest, most intelligent, super lazy <laughs> kid. I mean, bless his heart. He's smart and he, he can carry a convert. He has the gift of gab like me. And, uh, he's just a little lazy. I always tease him about that. But, um, now, but Brian is not my blood, but Brian is closer to me because he has the, mo he has most of my, you know, I I left such a big impression on him since he was six years old, you know, that he he is a lot like me for good or for worse. But he is the hardest working person. Like people have no idea what it's like to roll with me and him in a working environment. We eat people alive like we are built to do it. I mean, like I have 16 acres of Kona coffee and we have to prune them. So I bought him a chainsaw and I told him, cut them. And so he literally walked with a chainsaw and cut 16 acres of coffee, like trim, like, like cut them down. They were almost eight feet tall. And so we had to cut them down so that they, they can reproduce and they were at a pickable height. And so he had to chainsaw it right at his shoulder height and he'll do it in a week. And then the next week he'll pick up all the rubbish, but he's unbreakable. And, and like, you know, and so like, that's why I do a lot of the things. That's why I went on Forge and Fire was for my kids. How am I going to tell them? Take a chance, believe in yourself. If I don't have the, the nerve to go put everything on the line, you know, so you just got to do it. That's, it's remarkable and it makes me, you know, thinking about giving back and thinking about people who, who are, have been, you know, important people in your life. It makes me want to ask you, how did you meet Jason Momoa? <laughs> uh, he DM'd me. Uh, and I was like, what is pride of gypsy? And I was like, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> And he told me, he said, he said, oh, he said, bro, I'm coming to the Mauna. And he, they were protesting on Mauna Kea Mountain against the observatories that are being built on our island and our home. Mauna Kea is the eye of the island. It's what protects us from the storm. We have a 14,000 foot mountain on our island. And so when the hurricanes and everything comes in, that mountain keeps everything away. And uh, it's a very, I grew up on the hills and the tops of that mountain and they want to put all this bullshit on the top of the mountain. And so he was protesting up there. And so he told me, Hey, I'm going to be there. Can you make me a sword for C his show on Apple TV? And he, we drew some sketches. I said, when are you going to be here? And he said, in two days. And I said, okay. And so I worked for 40 hours straight. <laughs> oh. And I had my wife bring me food and I made the knife in 40 hours. And then I slept in the car and my wife drove me up there and we slept over that night and Jason was there in the morning. Then we cruise. We just started cruising and now we just, that's it. We're boys for life. I mean, that's, you know, he treats me with such 
utter kindness and love and respect. And he has a, he has a, he's a great connoisseur, uh, of art and, you know, but I think it's because we have Hawaii connection and whatever, but I mean, he's just, I've been blessed to have him. I, since then I've probably made 19, 20 weapons for him for shows and, whether it's for Sweet Girl for Netflix or whether it's for season one, season two of C or future projects, you know, uh, it's, he's just always been one of my boys and, uh, it's been a great blessing to have someone like that, you know. It must be fun to get a call from him and say, I'm going to be in this new movie where you design me a knife. Cause I mean, it's like, you know, it just it just sounds like it's it's such a fun relationship because he gives you these great projects. Yeah, but he's he not a prick. It. You know what I mean? Like, you know what happens with these rich guys? <laughs> oh, obviously. What happens with these rich guys or with these Go famous ahead, people me. is because every celebrity, if they're looking for a knife, it's generally from me, right? And but you'd be amazed how cheap they are. Unreal. They think everything is free in this world. And I said, oh, no, not for me, boy. You out of your mind. Like, you know, like Jason actually fights and takes care and gets you paid or he pays you. He's probably one of the most generous people. You'd be amazed at, I'm not going to drop names, but you'd be amazed at how many celebrities reach out to me for a free knife. And I'd laugh because they ain't getting a free knife from me. You know, <laughs> like what a trip, like because you're rich, I should give you something for free. No, no, thanks. <laughs> Bro, I'm not in that game and I'm not in that market, you know, and uh, but he's he he fights for the people and people, you know, that 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 means a lot to me, you know. Mareka, do you get a lot of famous people asking for free knives? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you I'm have. Not as as Neil. You you've had you've had, but I mean, one of the cool things that I was able I mean, yeah. to do with Mareko. I've had a few celebrity chefs reach out. Yeah, but one of the cool things that I I got to do with Mareko is one of my good buddies is Zach Brown, and uh, he's what a lot of people don't know about Zach is he's a ridiculous knife maker he's an awesome knife maker he's been making knives since he was a child and uh and but he didn't forge and he didn't make his own damascus so i've been going out there a lot and we work together a lot and one of two of the times i've gone out i was able to bring Mareko with me to make damascus and that has been like, dude, his, his Zach's brain just blows, dude. When, when Mareko does the math on the board, it is mind boggling. Like me, I look at that and I'm like, mm, nah, cause me, the way I make the mask, I'm like, I just make chokes. I mean, uh, what's, I make a lot of steel, you know, I'm trying not to speak pigeon right now. I'm trying to speak English. I make a lot of steel. And then I figure, hey, if I get extra, I get extra. I can bang out one more knife. You know what I mean? Berkeley, he like dials it down to the ounce. And I'm like, bro. <laughs> but I mean, he, it, it's such a good experience to also to, because like going back to that, it's like wrapping your mind around the business sense. Like how a guy has stayed relevant in the music industry for 21 years, right? 
like to surround yourself by people yeah. like that, it helps you like really dig in and want, you know, want to further yourself, you know? Actually, sp- speaking of Zach Brown, I was, I was actually listening to an interview last night with another musician, um, Dave Grohl, and he was saying that he was making the point that if you listen to drummers, within if you know the drummer, within 15 seconds you should be able to identify who the drummer is based on the music because there's a specific style. Because because of a, there's a specific style to the way they drum and how they drum in their music, and it made me think about you in regards to your style. If you look at your work from the beginning, I still see the I can tell that your work is specifically yours and not based off the stuff that you've learned from other teachers. How do you think that your style has changed or since you started? Um, or is the or say as it has stayed the same? Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's why I'm not a big believer in <clears throat> training under someone full time. Um, I think if you train under somebody full time, you will just make their knives. I think you need to have your own shop, right. your own space, your own creativity, and not everybody can have that. But I'm a big believer in it. Like I'd rather work in a five by five shop by myself than work in a big shop with a bunch of people. And, uh, and the reason for that is because you, it's style development, you know, and creating something that not only works, but looks like it's fast, looks like it's expensive. Like one of my design concepts is to try and put the least amount of things on a knife and yet make it look expensive that's always my goal i hate knives with ten thousand things on it i don't need if i want something bedazzled i'll just send it out to go get bedazzled i don't i don't even in my clothes i don't wear bedazzled shit like it's not my thing i want it simple um and it's hard to make simple look expensive or or look flashy, you know? And uh, I think the key to it was I worked by myself for two years. Like, I I'd never trained. I never even met a knife maker until I went on Forge and Fire, and that was at eight months' experience. I went back to the second time. That was one-year experience. And then after that, I worked, continued to work by myself and developing a style. And, you know, that's what I told Tiger Lily, like Jason's daughter, She's hands down one of the best makers, like female or male. She's so talented. I said her biggest struggle will be is creating her own style. You know, it's, it's it, you know when you learn from the DeRosiers and or, is that how you say their last name, Marco? Yeah, DeRosier, yeah. and you learn from Jason. Your style is going to be very similar to that. So to break through. And create a knife that represents Tiger Lily. It's Tiger Lily. You you know what I mean? And that takes your own space and your own mind and, and kind of going outside the box. But one thing about me is like, I'm, I try, I, I don't have any templates in my shop. So my style is always developing. I do not have a single tracing handle template or a blade. Like everything is designed with my hammer. And then I go on the fly, like, cause you can't, to me, you can't have a template for, 
a knife, if the knife is slightly curved or like, you have to start adjusting it, you know, and I'm always adjusting it. And I take the measuring tape and I take all that bullshit and I throw it away and I just freehand everything, you know, and that's how you really create, or at least I create. But your designs are, are specifically yours. They always have been. Like no, I mean, they're heavily everything influenced I've ever by seen Jason. Work, you... I mean, Jason has been my biggest design influence. If you look at what I do, like, you can tell it's heavily in, uh, influenced from Jason Knight. When I, when I was looking at knife makers and looking and going through and looking and looking and looking and looking, I was like, yuck, 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 yuck. Like, everything looked the same, you know? And then I saw Jason and I paused. And I actually told Jason I'm going to get one of his kukris tattooed on me. Because it was a, it was a huge mindset. Like, like that. That was like a big body Cadillac. Like the way he draws his cars is like to me. It's like a throwback from the fifties, and and that's like the kind of cars I'm into. And you know what I mean. And it it just speak volumes. So it is heavily influenced by Jason. But yeah, I try to make it my own because, and then you know. But 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 I would say though, especially when you're looking at your culinary knives, they have the connections and the the bolster transitions and the handles and the way you do the the kind of the faceted handles, slightly faceted handles, and the tiny kickback in the hand in the in the at the end of the handle. I see a lot of I don't I don't I see Neil Kamamura's style. Like you you when you see your even your 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 the beautiful mosaic Damascus knives you're doing. You still can see back from where it came from, which a lot of people don't have. A lot of people, they'll change everything out, and you don't see that kind of like – it's like this deep historic fingerprint of from where it's arrived. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have a vibe, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's – um... You know, and I never drew, like, or, you know, like, draw, like, shit when I was a kid, or I never was an artistic person. My older brother is very artistic. I, I never was. And, uh, but I think what helps is I can't see straight lines, and I'm super left-eye dominant, and so it's like, I was, like, built to forge knives, you know, like... Cause I hold the knife in my, the tongs in my left hand. So my left eye is the stronger eye. So I get to look at this. I don't know. Like it's, 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 I just like things to flow. And I think that one of the key things that people do not look at in designing knives is the flow of the spine. The flow of the spine is everything, everything. If the flow of the spine is not, you know, literally smooth and like looks like it's coming out of nature. Mm, it's not going to be to me. That's not my style. I base all my designs off the spine and then everything else comes after the spine. You know, when you're looking what at you the think, profile. Marco? Yeah. I mean, I think We've talked about it kind of in the past before about the flow of lines, but for me, yeah, flow of lines is crucial, and and how especially because so many of my knives have Damascus uh, patterns on them. It's also trying to figure out how that pattern complements the flow of the blade and the handle material and everything 
needs to go together nicely um, so that it, 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 no matter what angle or direction you're looking at it, it, it looks right. And you can, I mean, there's something I think innate in most humans when you see the flow of lines and stuff, if there's like a weird disruption or it's kicked off, it just, it, it just even the slightest wrong angle, you can see it or you feel it and it, and it, it's like a little circuit breaks in your brain and, and, and it doesn't feel right. And so for me, when I'm making my stuff, it's the same kind of deal. Like I'm, I'm looking at it from all different angles, um, as well as still trying to make it like a functional tool at the same time. Um, so that everything looks right and feels right and performs properly. Speaking of functional tools, let's talk about one of our sponsors, Broadbeck Ironworks. Broadbeck Ironworks makes a two by 72 grinder, Vince and Neil make they're knife makers and they're making knife they're making grinders for other knife makers. So if you go to broadbeckironworks.com and put in the promo code knife talk, you're gonna get the upgrade to the Mareco Platin, which is this awesome platen. It's very deep, so you have a little bit more access on both sides if you're handle sculpting or whatever. It's actually really awesome. It's got a big wheel on the bottom and a small wheel on the top, and it is a very, very versatile piece of equipment. And if you go to BroadbeckIronworks.com, definitely check out what they have. They have great deals on grinders, attachments. A lot of their attachments are very uh, user-friendly, so if you have a different type of chassis, the grinder attachment is going to work for you. So go to broadbeckironworks.com and put in promo code uh, knife talk, and then you're going to get that upgrade. Well, we didn't hit any questions, guys, but if you want to, we could hit a couple questions or you want to talk about something else. Do you have any good tough scenarios? I, uh, tough scenarios. Let's it's see all right if, we, if not. The tough scenarios are they're not they're not Neil tough scenarios. I, I got a feeling that like Neil knows real tough scenarios. Like I don't think that like one guy. I tell you, one guy had the t-shirt. His t-shirt was was printed incorrectly. I don't think these are the kind of uh, dilemmas that <laughs> okay. these aren't the kind of dilemmas right. that Neil needs to deal with. But we do have a couple questions All right. um, <laughs> from the audience. Um, oh my god! Yeah, I, I have a very strong feeling that t- like Neil doesn't Neil's tough dilemmas are way more tough. Than the dilemmas that our listeners are sure. dealing with. No, I mean every um, every person's scenario. Like you know, if like you know, like I I used to develop brands for people, you know, prior to doing some of this other stuff, and so like like retail is like one of my things, and so. But if you you know you just don't know, and you're you're getting some crappy T-shirt made like with somebody that's using a Xerox machine and doing transfers and, or like, and a thing looks like a fucking piece of bacon on your t-shirt. Kind of like how Mareko's first shirts were, <laughs> but no, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just joking, but I'm not, but you know, like, you know, that shirt is so sick. It's just the worst screen print ever. I'm like, what is this like plastic bacon on yeah. the front of my t-shirt? I'll help you with that later, but like you know, every I, I'm game to answer any questions, <laughs> any problem solving things. I'm here to help. You know. Well, the first question comes from uh, Stetson Forge. Stetson Forge says, "I'd like to hear your thoughts on production versus custom. I'm currently drowning in custom knife orders, and incredibly grateful." But I'm considering having one of my best sellers made production style by an outside source. I'd received the blades ready to put the handles in and sharpen. 
even though each blade will receive its own unique set of scales, does this hinder my ability to market as a custom maker? And does this cost, uh, does this cast a shade on my custom pieces? Thanks guys. Love the show. So, I mean, I think it, it, it's a potentially a good way to really delineate, you know, a production. Cause I'm sure there's plenty of people that the production knives would be great for. And honestly, if he's drowning in custom orders, he should be pushing those fucking prices up. Um, and that way, he he by having a production line, and uh, he can kind of very clearly delineate and kind of justify the prices of his custom work. Um, because I'm guessing if he if he's drowning in orders, he his prices aren't high enough. Or he's drowning in orders because he doesn't want to pay for the labor. Yeah, I mean, you know, you mean hire somebody? Uh, I mean, Jeff, what do you, what do you yeah. mean pay for the labor? Well, they, you're, you, well, I mean, for me, right now, we just got a, a guy who's starting to help us for the past two weeks. He's this great guy, David. He actually listens to the podcast. He's been terrific. And it was a question of, I want to get ahead, so I hired a, someone to help me. And this is going to be, if I can get someone to help me, uh, I, I've figured out ways in which to cut down my labor by getting stuff laser, a uh, water jet cut from the New Jersey Steel Baron, and now I have uh, some help to kind of get me ahead. I want to get ahead. And, and part of that is because I want to be able to pass on savings. Yeah. Um, but that's mid I used to be drowning because I was the only one doing it. You know, that's more mid. No, like, that's not. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. I think what this guy is... I mean, but I mean, that's my... But Yeah, you problem solved and you solved it, you know. Um, yeah, lab, I mean, labor's that's a thing, the, but... I mean, that's the issue. Is The issue is... The problem is, is like a lot yeah, of I mean, people are not okay or don't have the skill set to manage a team. Like maybe you have the skill set to manage employees. Maybe this guy doesn't. Maybe his shop's not big enough to hold two or three guys to hand sand or whatever. Like I don't sub out any of my stuff either. Like I hand sand every single knife. I do every little bitch ass work to my knife. No one touches my knife, but I am going into production. But what he really needs to do is understand his clientele. What he needs to do is, is, or what I would suggest, not what he needs to do, but what I would suggest is that he do some market research and, like literally figure out what he needs to know. Like, okay, so let's say he has 20,000 followers or 1,500 followers or whatever he has or 100,000 followers. He needs to see how much of that percentage is going to buy, whether it's 1% to 10%, right? Then he needs to see if they're there for his customs or if they just want to buy something with his name. You know, so the best way to do that is to understand his clientele and talk to the people that are purchasing his knives. I talk to every single person that buys my knife and I write down what they do for a living, you know, why they I inspired them to spend that much money on a custom knife and this and that and and he has to do his market research and what one of the things I would recommend him to do is to actually buy some sheet steel, cut it out on a bandsaw and make a mid-tech knife. Before he goes and spends all the water jetting money, make five of them and see if they sell quickly. 
and do not hide the fact that they were cut out and that that's what he's feeling out. And then if they sell out instantly, then that's motivation to maybe cut out 10 more and then do 10 more. And if those sell out, then bite the bullet and spend 40K on or whatever that he's batch size that he's going to do. But it's a really big risk to go into production. I'm in production right now. And man, it's your, you got to have the money to play, you know, like. It's basically like taking your money and gambling. And uh, it can't be money that he's depending on to pay his bills. And I think Morocco is right. He probably could up his price a little bit. And I think you're right. He maybe could find help. But that's what I would recommend, you know. Well, I would say he needs people to help him hand sand and if you were to help hand sand you would need rhino wet from indasi usa rhino wet is the best stuff we all use it it's great sandpaper and you can get it at texas farrier supply and if you put ten, uh ni- the promo code knife talk 10 at texas farrier supply.com you're gonna get 10 percent off all your rhino wet all your indasi usa products and other stuff that Evan and the guys have. So definitely go get yourself some Rhino Wet from Adas USA at Texas Farrier Supply. Promo code Knife Talk 10. You know what I did with the Indasa? Um, you, go ahead. You know what I did with that sandpaper? I bought regular what? Gator, like whatever the shit they sell at Home Depot. And then I bought Cubitron, the purple sandpaper. And then I bought the rhino wet and then i literally had like a couple blades and so i would for every one of the store-bought regular you know whether it's merca or gator or whatever you know like batch sandpaper you can buy it was 10 to 1 the rhino wet like that's yeah. how much you how much you gain. Yeah, so I cut my shit into little strips. You know, I'm jeez, I'm trying to stop swearing. Um, I would cut them into Sorry. little strips. You know, and I and I you know and I attach them to my handing stick. It took ten strips to one rhino wet in two twenty. Like I was, my mind was blown, and it even and it even smoked the Cubitron. The one thing that purple sandpaper is good for is you can kind of heat the back up and you can stick it to something. And that's better on wood. I, I find that the Cubitron is better on wood. It clogs less than the Indasa or whatever the Rhino Wet. But th- that sandpaper blows my mind how good it is. It cut my hand sanding in half. Like... And it's a great product. And I met the owners in Vegas when I was at a motorcycle party. And they're great people, man. And they're really invested into the knife-making community. It's been kind of new for them, but they just made a T-shirt with a bunch of knives and stuff like that. And they're they're pumped on the community for sure. And they're highly appreciated. Well, they, they make awesome sandpaper. And we're really appreciative of the fact that they've been sticking with us for so long. For sure. Mareka, you want to read the next question? Yeah, we got Ben Jammin Coffin. Did I say that right? Not really, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Coffin. Uh, he says, for Damascus, what are the difference in techniques like soaking a billet in kerosene, welding the seams, or just tacking and no fluxing? Which is best, 
or which is just obsolete folklore. What do you guys think? It's all you. <laughs> is it all me? I don't do you know talking about what you know what Neil was saying uh, a while ago in terms of not being ready for it. I don't do Damascus because I feel like I just need to be a better bladesmith. So I'm really kind of like I'm steering clear. I'm not. I just I really want to like I'm enjoying the journey that I'm on, and when it's right, when the time is right, I'm going to do it. So I got nothing. I have nothing to say about what how you should make Damascus. <laughs> um. So. What what the folk I think what the real folklore is is that you need flux to get the steel to stick together, because the real which he doesn't say here, um, but it's not necessary. Flux flux helps sometimes if like some weird shit's happening in your billet, but overall and in general you do not need flux. It's more about um, controlling your kiln or your forge atmosphere, kerosene soaking in kerosene. If that makes you feel good, whatever. It's not going to do anything bad to your steel, but it's also not necessary. Um, welding the seams. Um, so sometimes when I'm, especially when I'm on like my last weld where I'm welding my tiles together, I'll use my TIG welder and do a fusion weld and I'll wrap all the seams with fusion welding. It's very shallow. So by the time I don't even go back in and grind anything out, by the time I'm done forging, there's no fusion welds left in the material. So it's, it's cranked way down to like 70 amps or 80 amps. And I'm just doing the tiniest little, like, like an eighth of an inch or even smaller than an eighth of an inch puddle and pushing across the seams. But I do that to keep, to keep any oxygen out. So I'm not having to deal with any flux or any weirdness or anything like that. Um, uh, or any, not really flux, but oxygen potentially getting into the material as it's coming up to temperature and creating any forge scale between the layers by wrapping the seams with, uh, in a fusion weld, nothing's getting in and nothing's getting out. And as long as everything's clean going in, you're going to be golden. Um, and, and then the last technique he says is just taxing and no tacking the billet and no fluxing. And honestly, like when, especially the first few rounds, um, and actually most welding rounds, that's all I do is I just tack the material together. I don't, I don't use any flux. It's all about, uh, forge atmosphere, uh, trying to keep it nice and especially for the first couple rounds of welding to help reduce the amount of oxygen you have going into the forge. You kind of reduce you either reduce the oxygen or you pump up the fuel going in um so you have like a nice soft flame coming out of the front um but and and then once it's only like i said before in, in the final round of welding when i'm making my micro billet basically to then forge a blade that's when i did do the tig fusion weld um but you know i <laughs> All the processes work. It's just some of them have extraneous stuff like the kerosene soak um, or fluxing and stuff that you don't actually really need to do. Um, it's just you just got to have some confidence in your process. What do you think, Neil? Mm. I mean, obviously, I do Damascus the way Mareko does it because he's the one who taught me. But it didn't stop me from learning all aspects. So... One of the things I did with Steve Schwartzer was take a steel. Uh, we took 10 layers of steel and I kept folding it hot until it was a million layers. And uh, I wanted to learn that process because you need to know how to use flux. 
you know, like to me, sure. you should know everything about your craft. And so trust me, I had probably about 40 bubbles in my Damascus and you watch Steve take a punch and just punch a hole in it, pour like the most ridiculous amount of borax you've ever seen into this hole and then just shut it. <laughs> And uh, I think to pave the new way, you need to understand how the old way it was done. And uh, and guys like Steve that know how to use flux, it's pretty wild, you know. And then he also does, you know, without flux too. And he also does canister. I personally don't like canister Damascus. I don't really find the need to put, you know, 1095 and mix it with ball bearings. It makes any sense to me in the heat treating world, but. Um, it's not my favorite thing to do, uh, but you know, you should understand it and knowledge and you'd be amazed. Like when people ask me for advice on knife making, which I get asked a lot and I don't like it because I'm fairly new, but when they ask me, one of the first things I ask them is, well, what steel do you work with? And then they'll tell me, and I was like, well, what do you heat treat at that? And they're like, oh, like small kind orange. And I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like read a book, you know? And and it's really like I used to be that that same guy that was all instinctual and would just fly by the seat of my pants. And then I realized one day that you need to educate yourself for longevity in this business. And that's why if you see the people I work with, they're unlike me by all means. Like Peter Schwartzberg, I spend tons of time with him. He's a walking encyclopedia of metallurgy. And we're the most random, odd couple you ever seen. Like the first time he came to my shop, somebody was talking about trying to stab somebody in the neck. And he was like a little nervous, probably, you know, like, like we're pretty odd batch, <laughs> but like I got some hood friends, you know what I mean? And, and, and Peter's over there with his shorts, like, hi guys. And they're like, you know, we're in Hawaii, you know, like we're in a country. Like when Peter moved to Hawaii, he got robbed in a week, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, and, you know, like, and we have to put out the word, like, oh, Peter is with us. Like, don't worry about it. Don't rob it. Steal his chainsaw, you dickheads. You know what I mean? Like, and his generator and stuff. I mean, you know, but that's what oh, you have no. to do is just start, like, don't be afraid to try something and don't be afraid to read something. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of good information out there. Well, that brings me to one of our other sponsors talking about uh, not being able to try something. Definitely go to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. It's a one-shop stop for knife makers, especially up if you're up in, can in Canada. Steel, belts, handle materials, tools, forges, kilns, and more. They even sell coffee, rise and grind coffee. So go to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, and they're already giving you... 10% off when you order with them. And, they're, you know, you get your Rhino wet there. They have their combat abrasives. It's a great company, and they're doing great things, and we appreciate your support, MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Well, it seems as though I, I, you're – you know, I, that part of me was just like, I don't, we don't need to do any more questions. I mean, Neil, you're so – you're, you're far more interesting. But, I mean, if there's anything else you want to kind of talk about, I know you guys have this big event coming up, and – 
there's anything else you want to bring up? Yeah, so the, I don't think Any we said the date. you're working on that you're excited about? Morocco. Right. Uh, so it's April yeah, 30th, the, the May 1st. You go ahead. So it's April 30th, May 1st. Um, some of the makers that we got on there is obviously me and Morocco, and then we got, like, Will, the artificery, is that how you say it? Will Brigham. Yeah, we'll bring uh, him. Andy from Half Face yeah. Blades is my boy. He's gonna come down. We got Andrea De Leon. We have Prince uh, Forge Works. We got like SL Blades. Like Andrew from Colony Knives is not only gonna be there, but he's also gonna be doing some forging. Uh, Steve Schwartz trying to make it out. Me and Kinison Knives are working on a folding chef knife, but like a pretty crazy wild one that I kind of drew up in my head and he's making it into reality. Got Nada knives. I have some friends like Laura Zara coming out. I was talking to Andrew Alexander who owns blacksmith tools and he has some of the greatest collection of anvils and sells anvils and vintage tools. And he's, he's going to try and make it out and bring a bunch of anvils on this, on display. And believe it or not, Andrew, was top of his class in 2005 for the CIA for the culinary, whatever. I know that sounds, He's. Did you know that about him, I, I I did. Not, no, I didn't I, know. That. Yeah, he he was a CIA graduate. We he and I talked about that. Uh, we have some friends in common. Yeah, he's he's so, uh, he's one yeah, of my he's boys. A, he's an interesting guy. A really interesting guy. Yeah, and uh, he's one. He got you that little giant, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's been nothing but man. He's a He's a gem, you know. I I really enjoy him, and we have, but we have other things like leather workers, like Imperial Leatherworks. The guy that he's the only guy that makes all my sheaths and stuff. And um, Joey's making stuff specifically for food and wine, like wine leather, wine totes, and chef knife bags. Um, and you know, and really, our guy on the ground over there is Crocker Cutlery Gabriel. He's the one that's really putting it together. And we're partnering up with this guy, Chris, who owns some restaurants out there, and he was providing us with his space. We're even coming out with our own beer. We had a, had a special beer process so that um, made by Anchorage Brewery, and they put our Forge to Table logo on it. And we're, we're really trying to – what we're trying to do is elevate everything and make something that you want to bring your chick to or your partner or whatever, you know what I mean, your family to, and not just be like, you know, like it, something that you enjoy. Like sometimes when I have to go to certain events like SHOT Show or Blade Show, like I'm just kind of stressed out. I don't want to bring my family because I'm just there to pound the pavement and go. And it it has been beneficial, and Blade Show and all these things are a necessity. A lot of makers make their yearly income from blade shows and it's a and it's a really blessing that a, a company like blade show is is hosting something like that i'm just looking to fill a different void you know and i'm looking for something a, a different experience that i think will grow in time because of the state that we live in you know that's it sounds like it's gonna be a lot of fun I'm looking forward to when you move over east. I know you're probably going to want... I would think that maybe you're going to want towards the summer summer weather. 
Neil, I don't think you can handle oh, what sure. we got right now. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> out the window, and then we already have three inches of snow. I'm it's wearing a hoodie, and it's like interview. 72 degrees over here. I'm like, oh, it's a little chilly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I, have, I actually have a, an electric radiator that I'm holding in my hand. So I, it's, oh, wow. uh, that's how cold it is over here. It's terrible. This- Do you want to add anything, Mareko, to this event? or I shoot. I can't really think of anything else. I mean, we've basically gone over everything, but I just, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, anybody who's ever spent time in the pit at Blade or even went to like the cutting competition at Blade Show West when it was in Portland, like that was a lot of fun. People just hanging out, food, knife slinging, uh, you know, lots of conversation, drinks. It was good. Yeah, guess whose idea that was? All right. To do the chef cutting competition. <laughs> well, you must have been. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was yours. yeah. Remember? Yeah. Like, that's what we're really yeah. trying to do is, man, like, chef knives are the most understated knife. They get beat. They get used from the moment you take out to the, out of the box. No one's using, like, these Quillian daggers or whatever knives that they're making. Like, no one's using it. It's going on a wall. Like, chef knives get beat. And, you know, and, and it, it takes a specific skill that like what we were talking about yesterday, like, yo, don't buy a chef knife from somebody that don't cook because that's how important it is, you know? And, and like, it's not just about if the chef knife looks good, that thing got to (laughs) work and it's got to take it. And, 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 you know, and, and it, it's to me, it's so funny because if you ask a lot of makers, what do you make the most money off of? And they'll all tell you chef knives. I make the most money from chef knives. It's the most sought after thing I make. You know, what got us all in? Remember Mareko when uh, the, uh, what was that, that magazine uh, that called you and you, me, Bob and Nick were in the, um, what was that magazine? I can't even remember right now. Remember, it was uh, that like money so, magazine. You're so popular. You don't even remember the magazine you guys were in. This is so. I mean, like none of us. <laughs> oh, can relate Nick, to that. yeah. yeah uh, what? What was it? The Wall Street. Yeah, it was Wall Street Journal. So was Wall Street Jar- Journal Gosh. posted us on their Instagram and in their article about why it's such a thing nowadays, right? And how knife makers like me have like in cult followings that rival musicians, you know, like indie rock bands and shit like that. That's what the whole article was about. And that's what I really think is the future because not everybody's into collecting like knives, but every house in the planet has a chef knife. Every house. So why wouldn't we be investing in something, right? Yeah. Why would we be, whether you're a vegan or you're a carnivore or you're, whatever or you microwave shit you got a kitchen knife <laughs> you can only do so much with a spoon neil yeah you know you can only do so much with a spoon yeah before we leave i have to thank our last sponsor damasteel go to damasteel.se look at all their beautiful their beautiful steels you can get your some of the best knife makers in the world are using damasteel damacore damasteel that's really great stuff so go to damasteel.se 
and at promo code you put promo code knife talk and you'll get 10% off your order and get yourself some Damasteel or some shirts or pants or whatever you want they they they've been great and hopefully we'll do this chef knife invitational sooner rather than later uh, we'll get we'll get a per, we'll get pair on it and thank you once again uh Damasteel well, this was fun, guys. I hope I, I really appreciate you coming back on, Neil. I know we had some technical problems yesterday, and it was a drag, but you're just fantastic, and, and I know that a lot of people look up to you and appreciate the hard work you put into it and the dedication you have into the community. So I thank you very much. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and I don't really like to do a lot of podcasts because my mouth runs wild and I don't want to get myself in trouble and I'm a pretty opinionated person. <laughs> so I appreciate you. you guys having me on because I trust you guys and you guys are my friends and, you know, and we're not just acquaintances. We're, you know, we're brothers in the same industry and, you know, and I do look forward to doing one on, on, on the East coast. Uh, I have some friends that have a connection to like, it's called like blue hill or blue hill farms, blue hill farms. Oh yeah. yeah. It's right by me. Yeah. Blue hill. I have some friends, blue hill, stone barns and blue hill. That's a, yeah. And so perfect. when, when, when that comes around, I'm going to reach out to some people and get into contact with them and maybe do that. But like I said, like I, I really want to, uh, you know, contribute to that. Too bad John can't hear all the shit that we were talking to him about his hammers that we missed out yesterday. Oh yeah, John Ariani missed out completely. He was uh, John. Just let, I'm going to give you your own little podcast here. Is yesterday Neil said he wants to be buried with your hammers. That was the, <laughs> that was the one thing we didn't get to say. We went on like the, five, that was the big takeaway. Yeah, we went on a five minute rant about how crazy I am about John's hammers and how I don't let anybody touch him. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. John, you missed out. He wants to be buried with him, John. So, you know, there you go. That's, I mean, that's about as good as it gets. Neil Camamora, ladies and gentlemen, RPM Neil on Instagram. You know, Neil, come on. Everybody knows Neil. So go check out what he's doing. Follow him for more information in regards to this great event he's going to be doing with uh, Mareko and be supportive, be supportive of him and be supportive of the people that are, he's involved with. And I guess we'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks again, Neil. No problem. Have a good day. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.